0: Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin? Today I'm talking with Lawrence Goldborn. Now, Lawrence and I have been friends for years. Um, he's British, he's black British, and you'll hear more about what that means because he's going to tell us all about it. But Lawrence is a BAFTA nominated screenwriter and a diversity consultant. So he is just the perfect guest for these times. You know, he started his writing career back uh, working on television. He uh, started out on a comedy called Desmond's, which is a show about a family uh, and involving a hairdresser in an area called Peckham, London. He's going to talk all about that. Um, But he became a writer because as a kid he saw Frankenstein. He discovered it was based on a book. And that... Discovery changed his life. Um, What I would like is if you change our lives by subscribing to this podcast. Uh, You can do that through the service that you found it. Um, You can also rate this podcast. It helps other people find it. If you have questions about this podcast or any of the guests or suggestions, you can go to isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a message there. You're gonna hear today about how important it was for Lawrence to um, learn that this was even a possibility for him and what launched him into a series of amazing jobs. He's just a fascinating guy. Uh, We have a lot of fun in this interview. I hope you will too. Here's Lawrence Goldborn. Lawrence Goldborn, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so glad we get to talk.
1: Uh, it's great speaking to
0: you, Eric, as well. Um, so I may or may not say this at the beginning, but um, I've known you for years, but like a week, a year. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, we see each other more now because of the pandemic, because we see each other on Zoom a lot. But before that, it would be like, since you live in the UK, and I do not, Mm -hmm. we meet in Costa Rica with a bunch of our friends for a retreat, and that's pretty much how I would see you. So there's so much that I don't know about you that I'm actually a little selfish in scheduling this so that I get to know more about you. And I've already had your lovely wife, Naz, on, and we learned a lot about her. And I just wanted to have you on because you are really interesting to me. And therefore, I think you'll be interesting to a lot of other people. Okay. Plus, you're also, you're really creative, but you also have, um, you work not just creatively, but you've also been working in a sense legally, although you're not a lawyer, you've helped uh, at least one organization, if not more, deal with issues of inclusion and systemic racism and things like that. So you're just the perfect guy, besides just being a lovely chap,
1: as we like to say.
0: So yeah, we're going to start you. off by saying, Lawrence, where are you from?
1: So uh, I was uh, born in the UK, born in London. I'm a Londoner. Uh, I was born in West London, but uh, I see myself as a South Londoner. South Londoner, and um, and I've grew most of my life. My first 18, 20 years was in South London. Now, to be clear for people who may not see you or know this, you are a person of colour,
0: and I don't right. know how you say it in the UK. We're very careful here. You know, we used to say African-American. I mean, people have said lots of things that we won't say because they're <laughs> yeah. not nice, but, you know, <laughs> you're not an African American, you're you know, you're from the UK so yes. do they say people of colour or do they even say any, like how do
1: they deal with that there? So we have a variety of terms uh, so we, so the three sort of dominant if you want to use that language terms right. are black British, that's one um, uh, Af, um Uh, African-Caribbean or African-Caribbean heritage. Uh, That's two. Uh, Helicopters Uh, are closing
0: in on us as we speak. If
1: you hear that, sorry, this is from my
0: home in Brooklyn. Anything can happen.
1: That sounds great. (laughs) Uh, And then the third one is ethnic minority. And that's quite an interesting one because um, we've had recently a number of Uh, Reports about the experience of uh, people of colour, if you use use that term, in the UK, and generally. uh, So the organisation I work for, I work for a government department, and they have now decided that their preferred term is ethnic minority, but it's there's no wrong or right about it. It's just something that's convenient. And it's a shorthand that people understand uh which groups we're referring to. Well, what do you prefer
0: if someone you know said, Oh, you're this? Like what is I mean, I can only imagine there's many you don't want to hear. <laughs> because I, yeah, you know, there are. Jewish, I hear a bunch <laughs> yeah, of those I can, too. But I can what, imagine. Yeah. But what um what did
1: what would you want to be called? I want to be called Black British. Great. What I love about that
0: is As if it matters what I care, but um, it's just accurate. You're black and you're British. Yes. You know, like I'm a white American. Yes. So it's just—it's simple. It doesn't. I suppose it doesn't have as much charge on it as some other things might have.
1: Yeah, it does, Um, but it's also, uh, you know, people will find different ways of. kind of assign labels to themselves and it's really you know whatever people feel comfortable with but if you kind of reverse it and just say if you're not from that group which is the term that is going to cause least offense uh-huh. uh, i think uh black british or uh, african caribbean uh, and not afro-caribbean because that does cause offences because people don't want to be associated with a hairstyle uh, right. as, opposed, <laughs> as opposed to their identity. So um, it's uh, either African Caribbean or Black British.
0: Well, what's interesting to me is over the years so many different terms uh, have come and gone and you know what I know is mostly from watching television or film um, because I, I'll be straight up. I don't have a lot of black friends. You're one of my, it's a terrible thing to say, but you're one of my black friends. I don't sure. have a lot. I mean, we just, I grew up in a very white Italian sort of experience and then college and law school, pretty much the same, different, different backgrounds, but mostly white. I um, mean, you know, a lot of my black friends, not because, <laughs> not because you all hang out together, but because we all hang out together. Um, exactly. and, and your wife has a, uh, she's, oh, I'm, I'm not Tasmanian. She's from uh, in, sort of Indian, but not Indian. Uh, I'm blanking yeah. on where she's from. We've spoken about it. Do Mauritius. Thank you. And, um, you know, some people would just say, oh, yeah, she's a person of color. But it's yes. a very, she, the thing about England for,
1: and a lot of people
0: know this already, you all meaning you English folk can tell a lot just by someone's accent oh yes now Americans can tell something about each other by accents but it's not the depth and the class and the like I mean it goes back a long time and it's a very it's it's a multi-dimensional kind of way so when you say south London or West London that actually has a lot of meaning to it. It does. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, I only know because, for instance, I'm watching the show, Tad Lasso, which I love. Oh, right. Yes. And one of the characters, um, who's a very funny comedian, and he's one of the writers on the show, but the character is Roy Kent. And, uh-huh. you know, he's talking to someone that's like, are you coming to grips with the fact that your father's racist? He goes, I- I'm from South London. Of <laughs> My father's 60. Of course he's racist. And he's just like, it just rolls off of him, like that's not even an issue. Yeah. Um, and I have another black British friend who lives in America, we may know Dave. I don't know his last name now, but Dave, who's come to some seminars, you may him. He's got a much more posh accent than yours, I think. Yes. I could be wrong. Um, and that it's interesting. It's like, what matters? Is it color? Is it neighborhood? Is it accent? I mean, it all matters and none of it matters. It's kind of like, it's a fascinating calculus that you all seem to navigate with ease and,
1: but it's important, right? It is. Uh, And uh, sometimes even with that ease, even somebody like myself can get caught out. Um, But it is very, um, what's the word I'd say, loaded. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, I told you that I work for a government agency. And one of the great things about lockdown, if there is anything positive to emerge from it, is that um, we now have in my team, I am working alongside people who are based in another part of the country. So as soon as they open their mouth, you know where they're from. You have uh, an idea about their where they are on the social pecking order, if you want to use those t- terms. Uh-huh. Uh, you um, know about um, something about their business, uh, Ethnicity, because you can see that visually, um, but you also have um, insights or it opens the door to insights to about people's experience. So if I talk about one member of my team, Yasmin, she is, when you see her presenting, she is a Pakistani woman who wears hijab, a hijab. Gotcha. Then she opens her mouth, and then you can tell that she's from Yorkshire. And in wow. fact, you can then you can narrow it even further more. She comes from Leeds in wow. Yorkshire. Yeah, okay. And then she opens her mouth a bit more, and then you realize that she has obviously had higher education. So she probably has a degree and she does have a degree. In fact, she has two degrees. And so it's a, a really lovely way of challenging one's own perception and just getting in touch with people and just accepting them for who they are and what they are and what they want. Well, and by the way, adding to this,
0: I think that's great. Adding to this is the fact that even though I'm a pretty educated American because I'm an American, I didn't learn much about the UK. So I thought UK and England were synonymous. And I didn't until recently. Right, so UK came in the United Kingdom. There's a reason it's called the United Kingdom. It's because there's four countries. That's which right. Which is like, but it's one country. It's, yeah. it's a little like Catholicism <laughs> in that. And, and of course, we know the history of Catholicism in the UK is yeah. one that's fought. It's problematic, but... I don't want to go back that far, but let's just say, all right, so it's one country, sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, in the same way that Catholicism, it's monotheistic, that's right, but there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus is God, but he's not really. There's like a whole, and then you are against idolatry, but you pray to all these saints. Like, as a Jew looking at this, I think Catholics, I'm like, (laughs) you guys are really... Pulling a fast one. And, by, and for those of you who are totally offended, you can go to isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a message about how I'm getting it right or getting it wrong. Sure. Um, and you're not, I don't know your religious background, so that that is not to do with it. But but just so I don't leave people hanging, it's, it's England, Scotland, Wales, and, sorry folks, Northern Ireland. That's right. right. And we're just going to put it all aside because that is just a that's like a whole podcast of its own to talk about Northern Ireland, to talk about Scotland Definitely. and how they Scotland wants to be free and then it doesn't want to be, and then yeah. Wales. <laughs> they're the only country in the country, they're the only one of the four that's not represented on the flag. And I'm yes. sure there's a reason for that. And for people who are like, what are you talking about? If you look at the British flag. We'll call it the British flag, the UK flag. It's actually got elements of three of the four countries in it, right? Correct.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And as an American, it's like, I thought we were messed up. You guys, (laughs) which, by the way, and we can all take it back to England for why a lot. Look, you guys, you. I'm, I'm looking at you, a black British guy from South London. You had nothing to do with it but you know a lot of the world had a lot of english people come in do a lot of interesting things and yes. then said thank you so much have a nice day
1: and yes. we're left with a
0: mess yes so actually
1: terrible party guests historically <laughs> definitely but you know it's really interesting what you're saying because i'm a sports fan uh, Effect. I think I'd go so far as saying I'm a sports nut. And we've just recently just had the Olympics. Right. And, and it kind of gets really, can get confusing. So you have Great Britain. Right. Represents the four nations. Got it. But then once every four years, Great Britain goes to play rugby in either Australia, South Africa, or New Zealand. And they're called the British Isles, which doesn't make sense. I mean, collectively, they're called the Lions, but the British Isles. But then Southern Ireland is part of that association. (laughs) Oh, well, that does get complicated, doesn't it? (laughs) And then when you then go the other way... To um, the Commonwealth Games, then England, Scotland, Ireland and Northern Ireland will compete as separate national entities in their own right so you don't there's no Great Britain it's England, it's Scotland, it's Northern Ireland it's Wales and then you also have things like Guernsey, the Isle of Man. <laughs> <laughs> I know Guernsey only, again,
0: everything I learned about the UK, I've learned from film or television. So there is a beautiful, sweet little film called the Guernsey something potato peel society. Yes. For those of you who don't know, there's this British actress who's in everything. I forget her name. And she's in that. She played Rose, the sort of niece on Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. She was in this, too, as a journalist and novelist. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to tell people, go to Netflix. I think that's where it lives. Just see it because there's this island off of the UK that was actually occupied by Nazi German forces during World War II. And what's that?
1: I'm, I'm agreeing you. Yes, they were. And yeah. a, a lot of tragedy.
0: Um, but, hey, you know. The UK, the history of the UK and Germany, both filled with a lot of tragedy. No shortage of tragedy there, folks. Or drama. So we can talk about that another time. I should get back to you and ask, what what did you want to do when you were growing up, besides maybe be
1: a footballer? (laughs) Oh, that secret's out. (laughs) So, um, um, yeah, I think... uh, Football has a particular place in uh, British culture, and I do mean British. Um, and, and so uh, we recently, uh, um, England, uh, ended up in a, a European finals. Um, Heartbreaking top loss on
0: penalty kicks. As someone who doesn't know as much about football, I'm going to use your term because you're my guest. Um, the Americans just for close your ears a minute. Uh, what we call soccer? Okay, you're back. Yeah. Uh, and um, we watched the final. Um, they lost to Italy. I don't get the tiebreaker thing on shots. I just think it's a terrible thing. Uh, but anyway, it was a it was a wonderful game to watch, and I fell in love with your game of football about eight or 10 years ago. All right. uh, Holly, I I moved in with Holly. We went to a bar to watch world cup games because she didn't have a television. (laughs) Um, That has been remedied significantly (laughs) uh, because, you know, I'm in showbiz and showbiz law stuff. And so I need the television. Uh, But in any event, Uh, Well, Brazil fell in love with that style. Um, watched a lot like Mexico lose a heartbreaker to Germany at one point and this quadrifying, whatever. Anyway, great game. And so I watched my my cousins who are from the UK or Holly's cousins are big Chelsea fans. Oh, right. Uh, So occasionally watch those games. Uh, Let me back up a second and say, so who is your Premier League? I assume you have a Premier League. I do. Uh, Team. Who's your team?
1: And it is Liverpool.
0: I love that it's Liverpool. Um, I can't say that around my relatives who (laughs) love Chelsea. But because I grew up such a big Beatles fan, Liverpool Mm. just was the attraction for me. Not that I knew anything about England. Yeah. Uh, And they've... I mean, like any... So for Americans who don't know, the Premier League is sort of like the top professional league of uh, English football. And then what's
1: funny... Right, isn't it? Isn't the yeah, uh, time? yeah. It's kind of equates, yeah, in a kind of way with your NFL. In terms right, but th- of, yeah, the
0: players are incredibly well played. Played. Oh, oh, yeah. They make a ton of money and drive
1: very fancy cars. Um, but not not like NFL players who make oh, obscene amounts of money. Uh, really, I don't. I don't know. Again, I tell
0: you more <laughs> about show tunes than the NFL. I'm a different place. Uh, but for some reason, I find football, your football, uh, such a great game because the athleticism, to me, is so um, multidimensional in that these people have to run all, like for two hours or an hour and a half. Um, no breaks unless there's an injury. Even then, the clock keeps running. And there's some kind of strange way that they magically know how much time needs to be added at the end yes. of the game. Um, yes. But... Uh, also, positions. I'm starting to learn more about midfielders and you know attackers and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's it is not a boring game once you really understand different styles of play. Sorry, there's Brooklyn for all you Brooklyn fans. <laughs> Sorry, apparently we are at a motorcycle race still outside my house. Um, in any event. Uh, we will talk about football another time, you and I, uh, but I uh, I love it. So you, there's a league called the Championship League, which is actually below the Premier League. I've learned this all by watching Ted Lasso, which is this great show, as I told you. But as you're growing up and you come to what I assume was a realization that you would not be playing for Liverpool, you had to have some other choices.
1: And what was it that you started to do as a... Yeah. So this this was the B plan. Uh, so the B plan, yeah, happened uh, by accident. I was six years old, and I remember watching Heidi, which was a kind of like a I don't know a weepy aspect you call it, uh, and um, about this little girl who lived in the in Austria and in the Alps, and she was being messed around by her family, uh, and uh, And there was something about the film that just hooked me and I didn't quite get it until then I saw, a couple of weeks later, I saw my first horror film and my father was very strict and he made sure we didn't watch horror films. Um, But my brother and I, we managed to to get a TV into our bedroom. I don't know how this happened. (sighs) (laughs) And... Uh, And I remember worrying with my brother that because we had a TV in the bedroom, my dad would walk in and feel the back of the TV and know that it had been (laughs) turned on and then we'd be both for the high jump. So, but anyway. um, That's because back in the day,
0: there were tubes in television. That's right. And they got very hot when they were on for a while. Just to right. put, There are people listening who have no idea what we're talking about. And <laughs> it's go ask language. your parents, you bastards, because <laughs> the life, the world doesn't revolve around you. There was a world before you.
1: That's and right. um,
0: the fact that you got a, a television into your room, back then, televisions were like 8,000 pounds, very large, and not something right. you
1: could easily negotiate through a, an apartment in South London, I would imagine. Exactly. And predominantly, as was ours, black and white and not colour. So uh, so anyway, and so I watched this horror film. It was *Wonder Frankensteins. And as I was watching the credits go up and it said, based on a novel by Mary Shelley, and something just clicked in my brain and I couldn't Work it out, but I knew that there was a relationship between this book that she had written and which I had heard of, and this these images that I was seen on the TV uh, whilst having my heart in my mouth, um, making sure that my dad did, didn't come into the bedroom and catch the two of us. And that I would have to say would have been the start of my writing career. So, did you? At some point, go to school for writing. No, uh, I didn't. So, whilst I was at school, so we secondary school, um, I wrote kind of one-off plays and uh, short stories, and then um, and then. So, if we move forward about, ooh, so I'm, I'm now about twenty four, twenty five. I end up at a community theatre in South London, where else? And um, I hang around these really talented people and I start getting into theatre uh, and I watch how it's produced. I read the scripts. I read loads of scripts. Some of them were really good and a lot of them were just dross. And A lot of them I'm, were just what? sorry dross is that an english word it's not an american
0: english word that i'm aware of
1: i thought you were going to say
0: rubbish which is sort of we can both understand
1: (laughs) yeah so d-r-o-s okay which i assume is rubbish Which is rubbish, <laughs> and and um, and so I learn a bit. I have a stage play put on, a really something really simple, which um, I have experience then of touring. So I go to several um, uh, schools. Um, I forgot what they're called. They're. Um, uh, they're places where teachers go to learn how to teach gotcha. okay and so we go to number of them and just perform and then we ask questions and that whole experience i really loved and then i thought i want to try and do this for a living but then real life kind of catapults in and then um on <clears throat> we had a magazine uh or it was in the newspaper called Stage and TV, mm-hmm. uh, which just kind of keeps people, a bit like your variety aspect, keeps oh. people up to date in terms of what's happening. And uh, there was a really, <laughs> near the back pages, said, uh, can you write comedy? Uh, if you can, then respond to this email, which I thought was a... going to be a a joke but it actually was true so I I wrote a sketch and I sent it in and lo and behold I got a reply and the reply was we liked what you've done Lawrence Uh, only one problem it's not funny so this is kind of like a bit of a crush for me because I'm meant to be writing something funny right. and the person doesn't find it funny.
0: But they so, liked it.
1: Which to me is, as the Brits would call, a poser. Yes. Uh, and what they liked was I had an innate sense of structure. Oh, that's important.
0: Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, and timing, etc. but just wasn't funny. So then I, they said, would you like to have another go? So I said, yes, of course I would. Yes. So put my thinking hat cap on, sent in another sketch, and uh, he said, uh, still not funny, basically. But we loved the kind of structure and your shape and all that, etc. And so I then turned to my best friend, who I thought was the funniest person I knew, and said, look, I got an offer, possibly, if I can write a funny sketch... And then they may want to engage with us. And anything we make, will split down the middle. And so he said, yes. Uh, We wrote something together. We put it in. Then they invited us us in as a pair. And I thought we were just going to be... uh, So this is... So we're now talking about the 19... uh, Late 18... Uh, 1980s, Mm -hmm. started the 1990s, and I thought I was, um, they, uh, British people can be really cruel at times, and so there was a, there was a trend amongst some producers to invite you in to ball you out. Does that mean something to you?
0: Yeah, well, I I think what you mean is they really enjoyed telling you how terrible you were to your face. Exactly. Which, uh, you know, I've, I don't think that's a particularly British thing. I think that's a sometimes showbiz thing. Yeah. I, I, you know, as you know, I, I was a and still am a little bit a professional actor. And I've had experiences from we loved you, but it's just not going to work. I mean, I've gotten hired, I've done things, movies, plays, whatever. But I also like worked on something where I did work for free and I should have quit because the director was such an a hole. So yeah. you, you really get the gamut of people just like any other profession. Exactly. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure English people are cruel. You guys invented <laughs> drawing and quartering. <laughs> <and they laughs> yeah. I don't think it's inherently <laughs> English. I think it's inherently human for some people to be just crappy. But
1: yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I will challenge you on that. But that's ah, another okay. story. <laughs> but um, anyway, the, the, the script, um, the sketch was loved. Then they asked us, can we sustain that over half an hour? We said yes. Of course, we had no blinking idea about whether <laughs> we could even sustain it for five minutes. Right. And, and that was the start of my a run on a TV show called Desmond's, which ran for five seasons and won a Garner of awards, including um, Paul and I. We were nominated for a a BAFTA. That's awesome. Television
0: writing, for people who don't know, is such a different animal from so many other types of writing. And tell me if this is accurate in the UK, because this is what I know from in America. Um, It's, I mean, it's important that it's good, obviously. But it seems like what's most important is that it's in on time so they can match their shooting schedule because television gets shot on a certain type of week and they need the script because if the script ain't ready, then they can't do anything. And you literally have, you can watch the money just flying out the window as people are standing around waiting for revisions or even the initial script. And that is the horror show. And that will get you fired before being crappy. If you're crappy oh, yeah. and you get it in, they can always get someone to punch it up, For or they'll even sense. ask the actors to fix it. Oh, yeah. you, Right? Am I wrong? No, you're right. But, you're but right. when you can't deliver on time, it's
1: as I believe you would call it, it's bollocks. It you, is you. bollocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can uh, look that up, kids. I want to find that. And uh, I am proud to say that I never missed a deadline, and. Yeah, there was, and whilst there were problems on set, there were problems of sets made of the talent and not mm-hmm. the writers. Uh, although, yeah, we had some colourful writers in in their own rights. But, but isn't that great, also a part of television? What, colourful writers or colourful um, actors? I, I think problematic talent. <laughs> problematic talent, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, we had... So... You know, the the lead actor of Desmond's, um, Norman Beaton, uh, who's no longer with us, uh, he was a really talented actor. But I think, uh, and this is not talking out of turn, because this is generally recognised, he, if you said to Norman, there's a read-through, it's going to be at this time, on this day, and it's going to run for this long, he'd be the first on set... He'd be the first in the read-through room. He would, be, he would have read the script through and he would have made positive comments. And not only in terms of best lines for him, but being very generous to other actors and talents. I have to
0: tell people, uh, by the way, this show ran for quite some time, which is unusual for anybody to run for the length of time. It gets yeah. a tremendous review. I've never seen an episode, I'm sorry to say, but um, they did 71 episodes. It gets almost an eight on the IMDb, which is really great. It is. And um, it looks very funny to me, just the, the the photos they have there. You're credited. But I the way that TV writing works, you probably worked on episodes where you didn't get any credit. Is that accurate or is that no, not that, accurate?
1: No, that's not accurate. Okay. Every episode I wrote on, I got credited on. And the way that they did it is that, uh, in the credits, they would have written by and then mm-hmm. it would have the writer or writers. And then there's another credit at the end of the show, which says additional material by. Got so it. so you're credited one of two ways. Uh, and there's something else profound I was going to say, which has just All flown right. out of my head. But, <laughs> right. If it comes back. Oh, yeah, sure. yes. Yeah, I've got it. Um, it's on Netflix at the moment. Brilliant. So ladies and gentlemen, Again,
0: just to be clear, it's called Desmond's. It's about Mm -hmm. a strange family of hairdressers. Is that accurate? (laughs) It says his non-conforming family
1: and the regulars of his hairdressers in Peckham, London. Is that how I say that? That's right. Where is Peckham? Peckham is in South London. So it is... um, um, it's SE fifteen. It doesn't mean anything to you. No, so, that is gibberish. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I'll, I'll
0: let me put it this way: I've been to London once, and I stayed in Pimlico, right? Which seems pretty posh to me. It is because you could pretty much walk to what everybody considers historic London. Like you take the the bus, which I don't know the number anymore, but it went like through Trafalgar Square yes. and all these and and like beautiful places and to add the Westminster Abbey. And it's like a historic bus ride on a, on a, just a normal bus, but I'm guessing it's South of that on the other side of the Thames. Right. So
1: in fact, if you stayed in Pimlico, if you more or less drew a straight line going South from where you lived in Pimlico, you'd probably hit Peckham.
0: How long would it take for me to hit it on a, on a bus or a train? Um,
1: Probably about 30, 40 minutes. Gotcha. Because the problem with London is it's very difficult to move straight line. You have to go out and in to come get to where you want to go to.
0: Yeah, as a New Yorker, I sort of understand that. Um, although we have a lot more straight lines than a lot of other countries, a lot of other cities. You do, yeah. Um, and I love London. Just as an aside, people, when when you can move more freely, go to London. There's just, you go there and you're like, this is so familiar. And yet so far and at the same time, they speak roughly our language, as you see. (laughs) Funny story about that. I'm in Germany uh, with friends, and they're taking taking good care of me. So they, rather than read me the menu, they get me a multi-language menu, which Germans have a lot, especially like in Hamburg, I think is where I was. So I'm looking at the menu, and I'm like, shit, there's nothing here for me because I can't find the American flag. Like the putts. So people don't speak American. We speak English. And they pointed out to me, no, that's the that's the English flag there. That's your page. Oh what, what a downer to to be realize that I didn't even know how to speak. I didn't realize where my people not really were from. Anyway, sorry. So you're on this show for years. Now, by the way, yeah. that's God, was that like a miracle to you? Look, a black British kid, South London, your work is
1: on the telly, as they say. Is that like a dream come true? It is a dream come true. And it's a dream come true on many reasons. First of all... um, I always felt like working on Desmond's, I was wearing uh, L-plates, but they were really... Uh, does that mean anything to you, L-plates? Absolutely plates? not. We are
0: learning things here,
1: people. You're wearing L-plates? So, an L-plate is uh, a learner plate that a new driver will put on their car. <laughs> so that it. Indicates to everybody that they're inexperienced on the road.
0: We have student driver signs oh, on right. our cars. But I got it. so we would say an expression, I was wearing training wheels. Oh right. When you okay. ride a bicycle as a kid in the States, they yes. fasten these extra wheels on the sides so you don't flop. Over. We call them we call them stabilizers. Oh, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> that sounds way too Royal Air Force. Oh, less stabilizers failing. That's not sorry, Bobby. Yeah, that doesn't work anyway. <laughs> that's fine. So you felt like you were had elpex in the sense that you were just like you didn't feel like you knew what you were
1: doing. We knew what we were doing, but we never quite knew that how it was going to land. I mean, we had um, rehearsals, uh, dress rehearsals, and and obviously you can tell by the how the audience is reacting. But there's something lands or doesn't land but uh, it was really just a new experience and and a dream and yeah some of the best experiences and time of my life was spent working and uh, learning about the craft of um, screenwriting and at the same time whilst I was doing that I was trying to read everything I could I went on uh, different courses. So one of my favourite courses, um, I went on a course with um, Danny Simon, who's the brother of Neil Simon, both who are no longer with us, unfortunately. And I learnt more in a weekend about from Danny Simon in terms of how to write comedy than anybody else I've ever worked with. Wow. And... He's a genius, and just when I went back and then looked at shows like The Odd Couple, films like Barefoot in the Park, I mean, Danny, effectively, he said he ghostwrote them alongside Neil, but you never saw his name uh, right. in the credits. Yeah, well, I think that brothers, especially certain brothers,
0: I could see that working. I, could, I don't know enough about them. I was in one Neil Simon play called Rumours, which he wrote. Oh, really? so, so he, for people who don't know, Neil Simon got very introspective and wrote three what are considered oil auto excuse me autobiographical plays, which um uh Lost in Yonkers, Biloxi yeah. Blues, and I forget what the third one was, but they're basically his growing up and becoming a man in essence. Yes. Yeah. And then he was done with the sort of heavy self-reflective stuff. And he did what is very much a farce, almost in the British tradition of like someone going in one door and then another guy coming out the other one. And just because they miss each other, people say things, they misunderstand each other. There's sexual innuendo and all sorts of upstairs, downstairs, a lot of craziness that timing is everything. And so rumors, um, was just a blast to do as an actor, because it's very funny. And we would have rehearsals where we do what's called a speed group, where you just sit around a table and you do your lines at each other as fast as possible with no waiting for anything. The laughs come. That's one of those shows where you don't have to like wait for the audience. You, yes. you, you just you keep going, or the play will be four hours long. And also there'll be silence, which is just murder to comedy. Um, And I know, you know, um, so let me back up a little bit. I want to talk about showbiz because when I, I've had my little brushes with famous people uh, on movie sets more than anywhere else. And um, I still love to see famous people in the wild. And where I live in Brooklyn, we have quite a few famous people, you know, showbiz people in my neighborhood. Daniel Craig being one of them, although I haven't oh. seen him yet and his wife Rachel Weiss. But you know, I have seen Carrie Russell um, and her British. Well, I think he's actually Welsh, but kind of. I don't. Again, I don't want to get confused with that. Uh, uh, and I don't know if they're married or just together, or whatever. But anyway. I was on a set in a movie with Tom Selleck and talked to him all day, if you know, Magnum P.I. And I was shocked about how not confident he was that day Mm -hmm. and how you never get over being you, in essence, Mm -hmm. because, you know, here's a guy who is famous at the time that we did the movie we were in. He'd go on to do even more stuff, but he was very successful and he was worried about getting fired that day because he didn't feel the director particularly liked him his first day on set. And that was a whole drama that I couldn't imagine would happen for someone like Tom Selleck. Yes. Um, and I used to be with someone who was in the rock and roll world, and I've met some famous rock and roll people. But the bottom line of all of this, without dropping all the names, is that it's shocking how
1: ordinary famous people can be. Oh, yes. And that loss of confidence, many a time on Desmond's, because we were in another room watching the rehearsals, and then we could like poke our head out the door and see the audience, studio audience. But many a time, Paul and I had to intervene and just give little pep talks to some of the actors who felt that they hadn't nailed something or they didn't want anybody to come close to them because they were in whatever zone they were. Uh, and just trying to. Say something worthwhile and enabling them to get over the line. Um, are, I remember some st- <laughs> stories from obviously America's counterpoint, uh, when you know s- an actor couldn't get a line out, uh, they had a, an abbreviation, uh, A W M F. So, if you come across that one, um. Yeah. As written, <laughs> just to get the person to say, say, say oh. laugh. <laughs> just to Was get the, the MF to... what I think it is? Yes, it was. <laughs> um, oh, my
0: God, that's very funny.
1: But, yeah, just the sense of insecurity just made me realise that for all the Exposure, public adulation—that a number of these people have. At heart, you know, we're all probably little boys and little girls who's still looking for approval. Now, was that your last brush with television
0: or film, or did you do any
1: more? No, I did some more. Um, so there's another show that's on Netflix called Meet the Other Banjos, which is like an African version of The Des Desmonds, if you want. Meet the uh, Des- What? Des- so, sorry, uh, slow down for me because I'm. So American. let me slow slow it down then. So, you have Desmond's, which is yes. about a West Indian Caribbean family in South London. I found it. It was in 2012. Meet the Ada Banjos. A D E Banjos. That's right. Got it. Uh, and that's about a Nigerian family living in South London.
0: Peckham <laughs> seems to be
1: your your <laughs> centre of the universe. It does. And um, so that, I was on there for uh, um, the, probably the first season. And again, very similar experiences to Desmond's. Uh, I didn't write um, as much for an episode for that show. I was more behind the scenes and I was what the Americans call, I was in the punch-up team, which was yeah. trying to... to. Uh, Generate more laughs, more gags uh, per line uh, per per episode, and that was a great experience. And that won a number of um African awards as well. So, uh, yeah, I felt yeah, you talked about yeah, young kids, South London, growing up, just being able to see one's work on telly is wow. a great it's a great experience it's also quite a um, uh, humbling I couldn't get the word I was struggling with the word I, was, well, actually, I, I don't use I was, the
0: word humble very
1: often a, all I could all I could hear was humiliating I, was, I said "Well, it wasn't humiliating <laughs> it was humble humbling experience and it was great fun why, and, why was it humbling? um Because I had this dream from six years old that I was going to do something involving writing and TV and I didn't know what it was. I found my way kind of like 15, 20 years later to getting, you know, being nominated for an award for doing that work and sometimes I kind of look back and punch myself and say, was that really me, you know? I think it was
0: because you are a, a funny, smart guy. And uh, it doesn't surprise me. Thank You're you. Also, you seem to be well suited to working with other people. Um, I think that what happens for a lot of people is they either learn to listen and cooperate and be part of a team. Mm. Or they don't work with anybody. Or they <laughs> somehow make so much money, they can do it on their own. That's very rare. I, I can think of a couple, but I'm not going to name them because I don't want to get killed in my sleep. by it's super powerful <laughs> in the entertainment business. But I will say there's one or two people I can think of who don't have to play well with others. I don't know if they do or not, but they just don't have to. But for the most part, you got, you know, I would get called in for auditions. And I know this to be true. There would be people who, who might show up and they'd go in a special pile. Like we're not hiring yeah. them. Not because they sucked as a performer, but because, you know, there's an expression in American, like in baseball, when sometimes they let go of a player. It's called addition by subtraction.
1: Oh, I've never heard that. Because things get
0: better when somebody leaves.
1: No, I I got it, but I've never heard that phrase. I like it. (laughs) Uh, Feel free. Feel
0: free to use it. It's not mine. I don't come up with anything original. I just... I craft somebody else's work. We'll we'll, we'll move on. I'll stop being (laughs) self-deprecating. So at some point, though, you transition from showbiz, I Mm -hmm. think, into what some call respectable society. um, Or doing something that is equally fun but important in a different way. So how does that happen? Because I'm also mindful, by the way, I have a limited amount of time with you. Sure. You're in the UK. It's almost yeah. time for everybody to go to bed. Uh, but <laughs> um, seriously, you you did some other things, and I think they're really interesting and cool, and people should know about
1: it. So tell me. So uh, I taught screenwriting uh, at a further education college in south southern England, and one in uh, south ish London. Um. Uh, and then I've also, in terms of the day job, so I've had these parallel careers like one in terms of writing, screenwriting, teaching screenwriting, and then the other parallel career has been around, um, we call in the UK, um, inclusion. I think sometimes I think the Americans as well, it, it, we call it inc- uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion. And so I've had these two. Uh, careers running in parallel which has strangely enough um, fed each other and there's been cross pollination between the two and that's been kind of like a really good journey so now I'm currently working uh, for the government. Uh, I work for an organisation the government called DEFRA which is another uh, acronym which British people kind of love acronyms, uh, which is, uh, stands for uh, Department of Environment, Farming and Rural Affairs.
0: Well, what's funny to me is I can't think of anyone more antithetical to farming and rural affairs than my good <laughs> friend Lawrence, except that you live in the country where nobody is. You <laughs> at, right. and, and Americans won't know this, so I'll just say chesant, which yes. sounds like chestnut meets peasant. <laughs> and it's between Oxford and the end of the world.
1: There's That's nothing right.
0: there. I've never been, I've seen it on camera, and I'm like, you and Naz, who are very much city people in my mind because of your yep. backgrounds, and you both lived in very big cities and traveled the world, the fact that you're there in the middle of nowhere, it's like yes. Hobbitland. I don't know. It's like, I have no idea how you survive. But anyway, so sorry. So, how does a city bloke like yourself end up working for DEFRA? Well, uh,
1: yes, I was looking for work, and uh, my CV found its way on the top of a pile of this government agency that's saying, You've got expertise in uh, equality, diversity, inclusion. Uh, we're in a bit of a, plight, a bit of a plight because you know we've had things like uh, the uh, after effects of um, George Floyd. Um, we have um, black staff who uh, we're not kind of exactly representative. and so can you help us? And so I said, yes, why not?" And so that's how I ended up working for a government agency.
0: Well, by the way, just most Americans don't say CV, which is Latin curriculum vitae. We would say yes. resume. Resume, yes. But I, at some point people say CVs. I think if you're an American and you do that, you're rather above your station. <laughs> over posh. But it's apparently quite de rigueur for our British friends. So but I just wanted to clarify that for my Yankee listeners. Um So how long have you been at DEFRA, and what do you do for them?
1: So I've been at DEFRA since March of this year, and what I do, uh, I do two things. So one, I, I manage a project within DEFRA called Project Race, which emerged before George Floyd's death, but it's kind of accelerated since then in terms of uh, what the organisation can do in terms of its representation, its progression, uh, and its um, hiring of uh, ethnic minority staff. So that's one thing. And then the second thing in relation to project race is that I'm trying to, with colleagues, trying kind to of push the organisation uh, over the line. In terms of feeling comfortable about having conversations about race, because one of the things that—and uh, it was highlighted, strangely enough—if we go full back circle to the um, the football, um, <clears throat> we have a home secretary. I don't know. So there would be the, um, Department, of State? the or Department, Department of State, the
0: Department of the Interior, or, or
1: yeah, uh, who—and uh, she's a colourful character. Um, and she, she's entitled to her opinions, but she, uh, um, sounds like you don't
0: agree with everything that she says.
1: I don't. Okay, and um, that's fine. Uh, but um, you know, so but for the purposes of working for the government, um, so she, um, she uh, described the England footballers taking the knee before the start yeah. of each match, which they took the knee was to highlight the about um, racism in the UK and their support in terms of challenging racism. Uh, She called it gesture politics. And then um, when the match finished and England had lost, and of course the three players who took penalties, the shootouts, uh, were black and none of them were successful from the spot. uh, She commented about the levels of abuse, online abuse, uh, that these black footballers experienced, Um, one of the footballers turned around to her and said, uh, you can't kind of cry about how awful this is in the same breath as you're saying that it's quite okay for fans to boo and disagree with taking the the knee. Um, And and i think in terms of where uh we are as a country because uh, we too take our signals from america and in a lot i'm of sorry time, for that by the way <laughs> well um i think it's a it's a good thing um for a whole variety of reasons but i think more importantly there is a need for uh Britain has had a kind of really checkered history in terms of its tension, its dialogue with race, uh, because of its colonial history, uh, our kind of close proximity with um, America, you know, the special relationship. Um, And and then uh, if you look at British conservatives and their... uh, close alignment to the uh, Republican Party in America uh, there are kind of naturally emerging relationships that have evolved over the uh, the years but they have not always been helpful in terms of race relations in this country so as to what it means for the future I'm not so sure, but i think um the 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 one of the problems I have with some of our ministers and um the minister I'm talking to talking about she is of um Indian heritage is i'd say she she um, probably, uh, out British or out English, the English, uh, community. So, so I'll just give you one example. Um, we've had a number of, over COVID pronouncements from the government about, you know, stay safe, et cetera, et cetera. And she will often be talking from our office where she will have a flag, a Union Jack Right. The flag. Uh, And it just seemed that every time she appeared on TV, the flag got bigger. Ah. And it uh, it became a bit of a laughing point for her because, you know, just it was like, are we going to see her? Can we see past this sodden flag Ah. to Ah. be able to pay attention to the message that she wants to get out? So, hey. But um, we have that we'll, problem
0: here with conservatives who we use the expression wrap themselves in the flag. Oh,
1: definitely. At yes. one
0: point, our former president, the orange buffoon, <laughs> literally embraced a flag in what was an inappropriate and sickening display. Yeah. And I feel like there's a couple of things. I, I'm look. I, I'm getting more political on this podcast. <laughs> uh, not not this particular issue. I mean this particular uh, episode, I've been getting more. Uh, I have some dear friends who told me that I shouldn't avoid being myself. So I'm just going to say it. Um, there is, you know, I'm not the first to say it. Many a scoundrel has wrapped themselves in their flag yeah. to yeah. claim some type of high ground when in reality they are, in fact, scoundrels. That's a great yes. English word, boys and girls. But um, I, have a, I have a theory based on life experience, that conservatives are not funny. I have never (laughs) met a funny conservative, partly because, and there's a comedy expression, don't punch down, meaning you shouldn't (laughs) make fun of people below you, either financially or socially or whatever. It's just, it's cruelty. And some people may in fact find that funny, but as a rule, it is not in fact funny. So the question is, I pose to you, a comedy professional, (laughs) much like myself. Can
1: a conservative be funny? I I don't Uh, think I see it. There is a comedian in this country who kind of wears his conservative labels on his sleeve. Uh, I'm going to, I will find out his name. And he is funny. Uh, But Uh. he takes the mickey out of... The entire political class, including the Conservatives. So when you um, say he takes, a, it, it, when he takes the mickey out of it, he, he, there's another British expression,
0: he takes a piss. He takes he, a piss. He, it, he, he kind of makes fun of himself to make yes. everybody feel equal. Yes. Much like, you know, one of the reasons you can have a fat comic go on stage mm. and, and, you know, make fun of, you know, himself first, then it's like everybody's spared me, just as an it's example. Also- you know, or I, I can't remember which one it was. Oh, I love Jim Gaffigan. I don't know if you know Jim Gaffigan. He's an American comic. No. He's redheaded. He's not fat. He's overweight, but he makes okay. fun of himself. And he'll—he'll sure. he'll, like suddenly look at the audience and go, "I—I hear you thinking. Like, does he know he's fat? Does he know? <laughs> like something like that? Or—and uh, it's very funny and disarming. But again, you know, I, I have a problem with someone who's up there whose allegiances with parties that doesn't particularly like people like you and me yeah. because of our background and not because of who we are. And I just yeah. find that um, if I'm, if I have that in my head, they've another American expression, they've got two strikes against them,
1: which is a <laughs> yes. baseball
0: term. Baseball I don't term. know. It's,
1: <laughs> it's a sticky wicket. Has that? <laughs> I, like, I like that. I like that one. <laughs> Do you like cricket, by the way? Do you like cricket? I love cricket. I've got a a number of American friends like yourself, um, and one of them, he's a professor. I can't remember his name. Richard. He's written a book. He's going to. He's one of my best friends. But anyway, it doesn't matter. He um, he says he can't take cricket seriously as a sport because if you have breaks for lunch and tea. (laughs) It's not, as far as he's concerned, a sport. He's not wrong, but I will say this. I I have to tell the
0: world, one of the greatest things the Brits ever did was tea. Now, not, I mean, they stole tea from all over the world. That's not what I'm saying. But having tea as a thing at four o'clock, where you take a break and you have a cuppa and you have just a very lovely little snack, it could be sweet it could be savory it could be both i'm not talking high tea which is also very lovely i've done it in the uk in yeah. posh places uh, and yeah. here in posh places in america but also just to like oh it's four o'clock let's have tea with a couple of biscuits and a chat and it's just like it's the most bloody civilized thing <laughs> america needs to make tea a thing help me Lawrence. Because it's just a... We just power through the afternoon and then go home and get drunk. And that is not the same.
1: It's not the same. I, 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 I thought it was a funny story. So we have cricket and cricket... in that We have different forms of cricket and a test match cricket is the, the ultimate, which is five days long. Because of COVID, um, they were checking on people... Um, what they're bringing to the uh, cricket games, and there's obviously limited crowds, so very small, so they could e- equally uh, easily get through people's um snacks and, and lunch. Um, and so you mean like um, looking
0: in the bags, security, people look, looking, looking in the, the bags
1: security, to see what they're bringing. Yeah. yeah, we do that in America at events as well, but obviously, because of COVID, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. You, it's got more sensitive. You have to kind of to handle stuff, etc. Uh, and, um, one of our news uh, reporters, Ellie Oldroyd, um, she was saying that, um, the lemon drizzle cake that she brought in for the cricket match didn't taste the same after they had kind of like squeezed whatever detergent over it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, So, we have a saying, as you know, it's not cricket. And I think the whole COVID experience has definitely Uh, is not cricket at all.
0: (laughs) uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for her lemon drizzle. You know, I don't know anything about that, except my wife and I are devoted to watching the Great British Bake Off, Mm. which they call something else there, or maybe they, or uh, or whatever. Great British Bake Off. By the way, talk about accents. You know, you have 12 contestants at the beginning, I believe. Everyone is from a different place. And there's a Scots person who you can barely understand. Now, you and I have a friend from Scotland yes. who, do, who lives in Hamburg. That's God right. bless the German who can understand <laughs> that guy. Because I lived with him for a week in Costa Rica waiting for my wife to arrive. And he would talk to me. And I got, like, every third word. And maybe. <laughs> and I'd have to slow them down. Because there's Glasgow and there's Edinburgh. That's right. And they're very different. And the accents, when, when someone like our good friend starts speaking quickly, it's incomprehensible. <laughs> and it's English. But it's not English. Um, but anyway, back to the bake-off. I lo- And then, you know, York, Yorkshire, mm. or Wales, the very... Yeah, yeah. Again, I learned a lot about the UK from television. So James Harriet, All Creatures Mm. Great and Small, great television show. They're in the, is it Yorkshire countryside? That's that's right. And, you know, farmers with their very specific type of accent. You know, um, watching Notting Hill, which is an American movie set in the UK with Hugh Grant, very posh accent, but his roommate has a very strange accent. I believe he's Welsh. That's right. And it's a very strange accent. But that actor uh, has gone on to an American TV show where he plays Sherlock Holmes's brother. Oh, um, really? More, uh, oh, what's his brother's name? Ah, It's a very weird name. Oh, people. Uh, he has a brother. Um, Sherlock Holmes has a brother and he's got a very strange name. Okay. Uh, uh, a factors were largely in the BBC production of Sherlock Holmes. Elementary is the American show with Lucy Liu yes. and another guy. Um, but in the Johnny BBC Lee. produced Sherlock Holmes with Cumberbatch and yes. a different guy as his brother. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, the BBC and I could talk to you about England and all the things I love and hate for hours, and we're going to run out of time. I'll just say this: BBC three episodes does not make a season okay (laughs) so when you come at me with Sherlock Holmes and you do three episodes and you go that's season, no it's not you bastards, now I have to sit here and wait, you make me fall in love with your goddamn show and then you disappear, they had the best and the evil guy was Moriarty who's played by this amazing young actor in that show I can see his face yeah and he's in Fleabag and he that's plays right. a sexy priest That's right, yes And he was in something that was shot in my neighborhood here That was like a series of love stories That all intertwined With Dev Patel is in one of them And that's that was shot in my neighborhood Much of it oh, So wow. Yeah, so if it's like, wow, that's a pretty Brooklyn It, it is, I live in a pretty part of Brooklyn um, I want to know Before we wrap up, because holy crap The time has flown by I don't it know if is. that's because I love talking to you or at you, (laughs) or hearing what you have to say. Um, By the way, before I forget, please give Naz a peck on the cheek from me. We'll Holly sends her best to you and Naz as well. well well We love you guys. But um, is there anything you wanted to talk to me about or to the audience about uh, that you haven't had a chance to yet? Because I just keep talking about the baking show.
1: So um, probably very quickly, three things. Um, One... In terms of, am I still writing now? I am. I'm writing films. Uh, I got to the semi-final of a international competition, American-led, uh, awesome. uh, which is uh, great. And so I'm now taking it around to uh, different uh, producers. Uh, the second thing is that I love American TV. I have grown up on American TV. One of my claims to fame is that I went to Jamaica... Um, about about 10 years ago with um, my first wife and um, oh we all have them (laughs) we all have at least one former wife and um, if you don't look to your left and look to your right (laughs) (laughs) was was a wonderful person and uh, every morning there was a quiz that was um, organized by the uh, the resort and uh, this quiz was um you you had the theme music of an American sitcom, so you had to ah. identify the show okay so i'm there with my stepson who was really there for the beer and <laughs> uh and this family of three uh, mother father daughter, and twenty questions asked they got nineteen out of twenty wow, and I beat them. Wow. 20 out of 20. And this this the tune they couldn't identify was the theme music to the Mary Tyler Moore show. Wow. Which, uh, bum, bum, I know. Bum, I know. Precisely. Do, do, do. Do, do. Yeah. Yeah. So, You're going to make uh, it after all. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, so that's the second thing. And the third thing is um, I love um, American the thing about American sitcoms is that they taught me how to write comedy. Uh, I love American drama, and I am currently watching, um, what's it called? Good Girls? Good Girl? Yes. Well, Good Girls. Okay. Is it Good Girls? There was Gossip something Girl. called Good Girls. There's Gossip Girl.
0: There's. There's no, it's not Good Gossip Girl. Girls.
1: It's, um, I'm checking
0: on IMDb while you continue to talk.
1: Christina Hendricks. Yes, it's good girls. Unfortunately, I think it got canceled. Or right. it's run Of okay. course.
0: Christina Hendricks, I mean, people know her from Mad Men. She's the very Mad curvy, head. tall redhead. Yeah. Who yeah. is actually, I mean, she's a great actress. Sorry, I know I shouldn't, um, what's the term? Uh, think of objectify women. But come on, Christina <laughs> Hendricks is gorgeous and very attractive. And if you think she doesn't get hired partly because She's a voluptuous, yeah. beautiful woman. You don't understand the entertainment industry. Sure. I mean, right? Let's just be honest. Right. Yeah. So, but there's also uh, some other people. So, and Good Girls is a, it's sort of a f- dramedy, maybe. Yes. Or, yeah. Um, in that there are these women, I haven't seen it, but it
1: involves crime
0: and yes. hijinks and yeah. repartee.
1: And I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much as I've done have done and I've absolutely loved it. And so I'm really sorry to hear that it's been cancelled. I It'll also understand I also understand why it may got cancelled because it was in it's one of those shows that could be in danger. I'm not saying it was, but it could be in danger of being a one joke comedy. So it's the same theme, just different incarnations but you
0: know i just and that's love
1: the- it i think it's interesting that you know the thing about film and television
0: is if you made a film that was the conceit of that show mm. you might be better off because the surprise the comedic surprise and turn of events that leads to where they're going is perfect for a beat A very important act change in the movie and then you could play it out and in 92 120 minutes you wrap the whole thing up credits roll and it's a finished piece but to sustain something for and in america we do like we used to do like 26 episodes or more a, a season which, again, the Brits, I guess, because you have tea, you've already conquered the world. You don't give a rat's ass. We're doing five episodes of this, two episodes of that. We'll just call anything a season. Incredible. Exactly. incredible. So Until HBO came, and they're like, oh, this is a really great idea. This not working very much. So we'll do 10 episodes, which is, by the way, not really true, because some of the shows are tremendously written, brilliantly acted, brilliantly produced you know, Sherlock Holmes, just as an example, that is just great TV. But anyway, so, yeah, I mean, is that what you're talking
1: about when it comes to that show? Exactly. Really, I've just been amazed and just loved it. And, yeah, it's the sort of shows that America seems to be able to produce kind of routinely, brilliantly. And whereas on British TV, I think we have to kind of like hunt out the gems there's a British show that I loved
0: that was two women detectives. And one uh, who had a brother who was a bad guy. She was very so, attractive.
1: Um, uh, the Rosemary and... Crowley
0: and Knowles. Uh, I don't know. It's like two women's so, names. Yeah, yeah. I, I got turned on to that, and I just, I loved that. Um, yeah. But I liked the repartee, again, between these two women, who one's married and has a whole family life and the other is kind of yes. a single gal and yeah. it's kind of turned some of the stuff on the, its head because, you know, you think of the men detectives. Um, Definitely. That. Also British, and it's literally, I believe, called Law and Order UK. Oh, and I, oh, but no. I, I love that show. Do you? I, uh, well, first of all, it's Law and Order. I mean, it's just like, it's formulaic, but You know, it's like macaroni and cheese. I say this about romance, not real life romance, but romance in terms of entertainment. Sometimes you just want macaroni and cheese, Lawrence. It's not the greatest thing in the world. But, you know, you stir in that orange powder and some butter and the noodles. And it's just a thing you enjoy. um, And you know what you're getting. What you don't want is for someone to promise you macaroni and cheese and then something strange. And it's like, oh, I gave you the deconstructed macaroni and cheese. We used an artichoke pasta and we <laughs> used pre-air, and we separated them out and you assembled it. Like, no, sod off to use your <laughs> I want craft mac and cheese in a microwave. So, anyway, that's kind of what UK law and order is. They have solid acting from old-school TV actors. You know, yeah. you get the barristers uh, wearing the wigs, you know, yes. saying what the court must understand, mm-hmm. and It's like, I mean, it's just so
1: well, I mean, freaking I get British. It. I could get it, Eric, because, oh. you know, you're a lawyer, you're an attorney, and so you kind of love the repartee and the cut and thrust of the courts. So, uh, I mean, having worked for the Crown Prosecution Service and seeing what happens in court... Um, Close for real. Yeah, I I think as far as that shows, I'd sooner put pins in my eyes than kind of follow it. Yeah, so just that no.
0: Well, see, I can't watch the American one because they do murder trials in five minutes.
1: (laughs) And as an attorney who has, as part of what I do, also
0: do criminal defense here in the United States, I, I also, by the way, I'm very defense oriented. So. You know, the cops are not always heroes in my life experience. Again, you can write to isthatreallylegal.com. Let me know your feelings. Please keep it relatively clean in case an assistant reads it. Um, I should really wrap it up to let you go to your lovely wife and family. You have a cat who we love as well. Um, Thank you, Lawrence. I just... I'm gonna to have to have you back because there's a lot that we didn't talk about that I yeah. wanna talk about. I mean, Rumpole of the Bailey. Like um, I could just Rumpel. talk about that show and Leo McKern, God rest his soul. Like that's right, like there's certain British institutions that if Americans don't know them yet, you really should. And by the way, Mortimer, who is the guy who wrote the short stories, was yes. a lawyer and a brilliant that's writer. Right you know pg woodhouse we could do a whole show on pg woodhouse if you wanted to um, yeah. but we won't but i'm just saying like i and plus lawrence i just love hanging out with you and okay, i got yeah. a chance to do that so thank you yeah. so much for that thank uh, you, really man. thanks for being on is that really legal with eric rubin i really appreciate you
1: great lovely speaking to you eric take care love to help me
0: well That was Lawrence, he's amazing. I hope you had as much fun as I did in talking to him. Um, If you have questions about Lawrence or about this podcast, please go to isthatreallylegal.com and you can leave me a message or ask questions or what have you. Please subscribe to this podcast, please rate this podcast. You're gonna find we're gonna have even more wonderful, exciting guests coming down the pike Writers, performers, editors, uh, creative people of all kinds, of all backgrounds. that's the whole point here. There's no straight line for people in their lives. Nobody gets handed anything, but they have brilliant stories, brilliant journeys. And you can take what they have to say and see if it's useful to you. Anyway, I hope you will continue to take care of yourselves and everyone around you. Wear a mask, get the vaccine, look in on uh, your neighbors, be well, and we will talk soon.